Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague wearing his brand new glasses, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, it's time to talk Packers Seahawks here. The Seattle Seahawks will be coming to Lambeau Field for a Sunday 325 p.m. kickoff. And this is a Seattle team that is three and five, but... They're getting their quarterback back, yep. Russell Wilson, back from the surgically repaired finger that cost him three games. And for as much as even with Wilson in the lineup, the Seahawks were up and down early in the season, kind of riding a bit of a roller coaster. Russell Wilson brings a 125.3 passer rating, uh, 10 touchdowns, only one interception on the season. He was off to a heck of a heck of a start statistically, and that's certainly something he's looking to continue against a pretty good Packers defense. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny listening to Devontae Adams discuss it because he's like, this really almost feels like a division game, how much yeah. they've played. I believe in Devontae's career, this is the eighth time now he's going to be playing against a Russell that Wilson sounds, that sounds about quarterback right. Seahawks team. And as we've seen through all these matchups, and there's been so many chapters in this this rivalry now, uh, it's always going to be competitive. It's always going to be probably down to the wire. And, and a lot of times, too, it comes down to how are the Packers, Packers able to contain Russell Wilson. Historically speaking, the games in which they've been able to really put a hat on him, they've played really well. The results have been in their favor. And when, But when he gets going, man, when he gets moving, when he gets creating plays out of the pocket and he extends things, that's where he can really hurt you. And as we're learning about the Seattle offense in this era now, whether it's DK Metcalf, whether you know it's it's Tyler Lockett, they have weapons that can really hurt you. Yeah, that combination of Lockett and Metcalf is a really interesting one because you don't you don't often see a a, a one two punch at receiver, if you will, where the two guys are such different types of players in term, yeah. in terms of the body types and the routes they run and what those what the offenses ask them to do, and I think that's what presents such a big challenge in terms of defending Russell Wilson and his passing game with those two guys on the other side of it with regard to trying to contain Wilson now this is the statistic with Wilson or Geno Smith but the Seattle Seahawks have allowed 26 sacks this yeah, season man. in eight games I mean that puts them on pace for allowing 50 plus this season now obviously about half of those were Wilson half of those were were Geno Smith but um yeah, you still, even with those sack numbers, though, I think you you have to be careful about how you pressure Russell Wilson. This is what is so mind-boggling about the season Seattle's had is that Geno Smith played well uh, during that absence. But the problem is, is they've had a really difficult schedule. When you look at the opponents they've played, I think maybe the Vikings are the one team they lost to that actually has a losing record right now. I mean... It's been a competitive type of schedule. And Smith, to his credit, a lot of people, including myself, big-time doubters when he took over, played really well. He had over 100 passer rating. The thing that is really stands out to me the most about Seattle, though, is the years change, but a lot of times the construction of the offense is very similar. Mm -hmm. It really they, They've had issues on the offensive line for years now. Yeah, they have. That hasn't really changed. They've had inconsistency in the backfield now for years now. That hasn't really changed. But at the same time, when you have somebody like Wilson that can basically create, uh, it still makes them an incredibly dangerous team. And I think defensively they've started to find themselves a little bit more. 
Uh, Matt LaFleur said it. It was to your question, Mike. They are expecting a playoff caliber team to step into Lambeau Field on Sunday. And anything short of that, I mean, yeah, the Packers will accept it, but that isn't what they're anticipating. They think that this is going to be a matchup that's really going to come down to the wire because at the beginning of the season, back in September, this was the gauntlet we were talking about. Seattle was a big reason for why we thought November was going to be as difficult as it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at it from Seattle's perspective, three and five, that's not where they want to be after eight games. They can't really afford too many more losses. Right. But from their point of view, they're like, hey, we have an opportunity to play the Packers. We, they, they still have, I believe it's two games left with Arizona. They haven't played the Cardinals left they, yet. They have one game left against the Rams. So even though they're 3-5, and five, they're going to have some opportunities to make some noise here, yeah. uh, you know, playing against some of the top teams in the NFC as we're in that, that, uh, that midpoint of the season. I wanted to get back for a second to that receiver tandem, uh, Lockett and Metcalf. And I know they're, we're not exactly sure what's happening with Eric Stokes. He missed uh, last game for the Packers, um, limited on the injury report as far as uh, Wednesday's practice for Green Bay was concerned. So we'll see how that plays out. But how do you think the Packers go about defending Metcalf and Lockett do they are they just going to have the corners play their sides and you just and you just match up that way the reason I ask is because we talk about this a lot and we we always it always seems very rare that the Packers try to just match up yeah you know a certain DB but then we saw Eric Stokes against the Cincinnati Bengals pretty much was kind of matched up against Jamar Chase for yep. the vast majority of that game. So it just makes me wonder. But again, Stokes, the, the, his status is uncertain. Here he saw a in. lot of Terry McLaurin as well. I don't know if it was down for down, snap for snap, but he played him and, and kind of traveled with him a little bit on the field too in that game against Washington. So yeah. Stokes, that possibility is there. It really, Mike, it, we, we don't know what the knee is, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was one of the more unique things I think I can remember, other than maybe an illness. I remember Brian Belaga, I think, dropped out with the flu, right? And then that's where Jared Valdir had to start a couple years ago, like 90 minutes before the game. Yeah. I believe it was the flu. If not, I'm sorry, Brian, for misreporting. But I don't remember an issue where a guy actually, like a cornerback, a guy at a, in a, you know, a fitness position, a finesse position where he has to go out of the lineup because of a pregame injury. So time will tell. I mean, maybe he was limited. We'll see what the injury report says later this week. To your question, though, I think the one big thing about this uh, this defense that Joe Barry employs is he trusts players to play their positions. And there was a line, it was a very basic line that Devondre Campbell said, but it really hit home with me in that he trusts linebackers to be linebackers. He trusts defensive backs to be defensive backs. And if your assignment is to be the left perimeter cornerback, like Rasul Douglas was last week, he's comfortable just letting that guy be that guy. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you're going to see any overwhelming adjustments. I think the bigger thing they have to figure out is, from a safety perspective, how they go about trying to put an umbrella over DK Metcalf with also being cognizant of what, Lockett can do both underneath and down the field. Yeah, those two guys are really elite weapons, and to have a you know two receivers that have such a juxtaposition in terms of their styles, in terms of what makes them great. Devontae Adams even talked about it when he was asked about, "Hey, can you steal anything from DK Metcalf's game?" You really can't because the guy's <laughs> six foot five, and as he said, two hundred and ninety pounds. He's a very unique player <laughs> to his own skill set. So two ninety, that was pretty. That funny. was a really that good was, line. That was funny. Very actually, solid. Yeah, but. 
that being said, you look at the photos of him, you absolutely believe it. So I, I'll tell you this, man, it, it's going to be a challenge, but I think really it's going to be more on that back end and how they want to blanket these guys and how they want to cloud them as opposed to what cornerback, Stokes available or not, is going to be the one drawing those assignments. Yeah, I think it's interesting with, uh, with, with that pair of receivers because they are so different physically, yet both of them can beat you deep. Yeah, and both of them can take a short pass and get a lot of yards after the catch, and and you just don't you just don't see that uh, you just don't see that wide array of uh, of abilities from two guys that uh, that look physically so different on the field. On the Packers side of things, West David Bakhtiari, the five-time yeah. All-Pro left tackle, was activated from the physically unable to perform list. His uh, his three-week three week roster exemption, excuse me, from when he started practicing um, to where you know he did not have to count on the 53-man roster, that three-week exemption expired, so the Packers had to make a decision, activate him or not. So he is on the 53-man roster. There hasn't been anything definitively said as to whether he is going to start at left tackle on Sunday, but we heard from Elton Jenkins, and uh, and as I wrote on our website, you can check out the story on Packers.com. Elton Jenkins is ready to move wherever the Packers need him to move, right? And and uh, even joked that he thought maybe he was going to be the backup quarterback last <laughs> week until Blake Bortles was brought in. But uh, I also but, like how he said Blake Bortles, not Blake or Bortles. He's like, and then we signed Blake Bortles. It's like <laughs> that made me chuckle. Yeah. But Elton's ready to uh, Elton's yeah. ready to line up wherever the Packers need him when Bakhtiari is ready to go, whether that is this week or uh, down the line. I will say this: as it relates to the Packers, as it relates to guys coming off of significant knee injuries or any injury, you know, we saw with the collarbones with Aaron Rodgers. The day that that player runs out of the tunnel at Lambeau Field, or it's maybe potentially a road game, I have full 100% confidence that that guy is ready. I think that has been proven with Pat McKenzie, with this training staff here. They are not going to put a guy out there who isn't ready to play. So right. that's not about David Bakhtiari. I'm sure if David Bakhtiari had his druthers <laughs> about this whole situation, he probably would have played in the last preseason game. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is they needed to be able to give him this window once he started practicing again to simulate these practices, to get him ready for playing 70 offensive snaps. That's all a part of the process, just as much as rebuilding up the strength in that knee was. But I'll say this, Mike, to have a guy like Elton Jenkins step up, and then also an honorable mention to Yash Nyman being able to, to eat up three games as well. The Packers went 7-2, and two, missing their five-time All-Pro left tackle. That's not to say they didn't miss him. They still missed him mightily because I think this offensive line is better when you have Jenkins and Bakhtiari both there. But to be able to stem this tide... I think that's something, regardless of what the final record is of the season, regardless of whether or not the Packers hoist up a Lombardi trophy, Elton Jenkins and Yash Nyman would be really proud yeah. that they were able to get them this far because it shouldn't have looked this easy. Yeah. Teams lose not even guys of the caliber of David Bakhtiari, and it can be an absolute disaster. The Packers were able to keep this thing going, and if you get Bakhtiari, you got back MVS last week, you got back Kevin King, you get Bakhtiari back, Jair's being around practice again, doesn't have a yeah, sling on. Yes, Zedaria, number 23 hanging around. Zadaria Smith is Easy back in Green Bay. Yeah. Easy for me to say. Every single you know guy that they add back into the fold of this caliber, it's going to make this team better for the long run. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and obviously we'll, we will see what the Packers decide to do when Bakhtiari does come back. 
with regard to Elton Jenkins. The first decision is, do you put Elton Jenkins at left guard, which is his Pro Bowl position, even though maybe he was headed for a Pro Bowl at left tackle, I don't know. Or because Josh Myers is still out, and Jenkins was your guy who filled in at center last year when Corey Lindsley went down for three games late in the season, do you put Elton Jenkins at center? And then, obviously, you're sorting out amongst Lucas Patrick, Royce Newman, John Runyon, those other interior guys, uh, who will be your best five um, in the starting lineup. So um, the versatility that Elton Jenkins has gives, gives the Packers a, uh, um, almost an unmatched luxury in, in this game when it comes to injuries on the offensive line. And obviously other guys are cross-trained at, at different yeah. positions as well. But as Adam Stenovich said last week, all you have to do is give Elton Jenkins a couple days of practice at any spot on the offensive line, and you can put him out there in a game, and you know he's going to do just fine. Yeah. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't hear that about, about guys uh, in, in terms of just being able to, to, to train and grasp everything so quickly and understand the techniques and then execute those techniques as well as you know the playbook based on your responsibility at guard versus tackle and all of that kind of stuff and so we'll see we don't really know what the Packers are going to do but the fact that they have so many options at their disposal is a credit to Elton Jenkins yeah and, and even this year doesn't I think fully encapsulate what he brings it was last year that I think my eyes really opened up to it because that was a position where Lucas Patrick had to start at right guard they had already lost Lane Taylor for the year. So right. when, when Corey Lindsley got hurt, they didn't really have a backup center, so to speak. It needed to be Elton Jenkins. And the guy slid in there and in three starts played at a Pro Bowl level at that position too. So uh, you, you, don't, you hope at some point you're going to see a relatively healthy line that Josh Myers can get back at some point this season and the Packers start to look more like themselves again. But to be able to do what they've done in spite of all these injuries, uh, it has been – Probably one of the top five storylines, I'd say, as far as this Packers season has been concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a shout-out to our sponsors here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right. Last thing before we move on to the other games around the NFL in Week 10, the keys to victory here for the Packers. When you look at this game, Packers are starting a stretch here of five out of seven. Five of their next seven games are at Lambeau Field after the stretch of playing four out of five on the road. What do the Packers have to do to uh, get back into the win column after taking a loss last week? It goes back to what your key to victory was last week. I think they have to protect the football, and I need to think they need to take the football away. Seattle is one of the more unique teams I think I've ever seen, this particular team this year. They don't give the ball away, but they also haven't really taken it away this season. They only have three interceptions among 34 defensive passes defensed, and I believe they all belong to Quandre Diggs. Yeah, they do. Diggs, Diggs has all their interceptions. Yeah, and it, again, it's a good defense, but their inability to take the ball away I think has been one of the reasons why you've seen all these yards being put up against them this year. Um, and offensively, though, they only have, what, four giveaways? I mean, it, it's been pretty remarkable, even with Geno Smith taking over, the fact that they've been able to protect the football as well as they have. So I think that's going to be a catalyst in this game. I thought last week 
you know, and I think it proved out that if the Packers protect the football, if they don't lose the turnover battle two to nothing, and then the points that were generated off of that for Kansas City, I think that's a different football game. So especially if Aaron Rodgers is back in the fold, the big day on that is obviously going to be Saturday. Right. But if Aaron Rodgers is back and the Packers can get back into the groove that they were in before this whole, you know, Devontae Adams is gone and then Rodgers is gone, if they're able to look like the offense they did in week seven, I think they're very easily able to win this game and continue on building on what they did in the first half of the season. Yeah, and I think offensively, and I say this whether Jordan Love is the quarterback or whether Aaron Rodgers does come back and get cleared on Saturday and is uh, is under center on Sunday, you got to get back to running the football. Yeah. We've we've been saying this since since Matt Lafleur got here in 2019, and we've seen the implementation of this offense. The Packers have won plenty of games you know, when Aaron Rodgers has just done his thing, right? Like, we've seen that. But when this Packers offense has been at its best is when the running game is the foundation and it sets up the play action and it just opens up so many more things for the quarterback, and especially when that quarterback is Aaron Rodgers with his mastery yeah. of the offense and what is going on. And we heard, we've heard Matt LaFleur many times when he when he's critical of himself about his game plan his approach and he and he says yeah I got away from the run too early when we've heard him say that he's usually made a recommitment to it again right after that I think the Packers are going to come out on Sunday with with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon whatever rotation whoever's going to be first second whatever I think the Packers are going to show that commitment to the run game on Sunday and I appreciate that they probably weren't going to be able to run the ball 35 times against Kansas City with Kansas City playing as many guys in the box as they were with their single high yeah sets. which you which you can do when it's a guy's first, first start, start as opposed to Aaron Rodgers at quarterback but the encouraging thing about what they did accomplished was they still moved the ball really well against a loaded box yeah they did and that's a credit to both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon they both were had some nice runs in that game but I go back to and Mike I, I want to say it's Detroit correct me if I'm wrong but that was the game where I believe A.J. Dillon just took over in the fourth quarter like the fourth quarter or the four minute offense just kept pounding the ball pounding the ball yeah. pounding the ball this kid can take it he did it at Boston College. I, I just I want to see more of those opportunities for. I think I think AJ Dillon's earned them to be able to just to continually get those reps and then being able to be really pragmatic about how you utilize Aaron Jones. I want to see more of the pony packages. I want to see the offense run more through those guys because I think one of the issues they've had in this first half of the season is trying to get the play action going because we haven't seen it in the same form that we did last year. If that happens, and I still think there's a lot there for this Packers offense to accomplish this season. I agree. I, I really believe that that's going to be what is going to put them over the top because right now, the defense has to be able to still weather these injuries and keep building. But this is the best Packers defense I've covered in my time here. It just is. And yeah. it's not, I'm not saying it's the most talented. I'm not saying that they just – but the way that they're playing is they're playing dominant football. And, and I think it's right there for Green Bay right now from a championship perspective. If they can get some of these things squared away with the offense and get this thing rolling and obviously the special teams considerations as well, it's it's all there. Yeah, and you're and you're playing at home here for uh, for this next uh, next stretch of games to uh, um, to keep yourself where you are in uh, in those NFC rankings and with regard to the NFC North. As far as the division is concerned, here Week Ten, the Chicago Bears on a bye. Minnesota Vikings with another oh, tough that's a one. Tough they're, way for they're they're on the, the road. They're they're on the road out at Los Angeles to yeah. play the. Chargers. So the Packers with that uh, three and a half game lead in 
the NFC North, uh, as far as uh, division hopes are concerned, Minnesota has to feel like now that it's it's back is against the wall. Yeah, they they the Vikings have got to start stacking some victories to be able to put any pressure on the Packers. Obviously, they're playing the Packers um, very soon coming up here, but uh, but this is a t- this is a tough road trip for the Vikings. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I forgot that Chicago was on a bye this week. You and I always discuss the whole thing about, like, oh, man, you know, go, that last game before the bye week from an insider inbox perspective, you always want to, you know, either a victory or a nice performance. Man, oh, life, the Bears get to stew over that one for yeah, that, that, 13 days. That That's Monday, amazing. That Monday, night loss, uh, that Monday night loss in Pittsburgh is the one they have to sit on for two weeks now. That's a, you, 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 there's not enough breath mints in the world to get the taste out of that one out of it. But uh, Minnesota perspective, this is a really difficult matchup for them. Yeah. And, and certainly going into L.A. is not like a lot of other teams. I don't think it's going to be a noise barrier issue there for them. But they do need to find a way to win some of these games because they've played a number of teams tough this year, but they just haven't been able to close this thing out. Credit to them. It's a difficult schedule. It's been a really tough year for them as well with how things have lined up. But at some point, if they're going to make a run at Green Bay here, they have to pick up some W's. And for Detroit, you know, having to go to Pittsburgh now, um, they got a week to kind of regroup a little bit, you think? I heard a little birdie told me that Tim Boyle was maybe potentially designated to return. Hey Lions! It sounded like they opened the they opened the practice window as right. far as bringing him off of injured reserve. So yes, we, we will see we will see what happens with the laser show. Number in, twelve in, in your programs, weeks. number one in your hearts. Yeah, just yeah. saying. Well, elsewhere in the NFC, just to give folks a sense of what else is going on amongst those other contenders, Atlanta is playing at Dallas. Arizona is hosting. Carolina and Carolina going through all sorts of quarterback stuff yeah. and everything right now. Tampa Bay is at Washington. Both of those teams coming off a bye. That's actually a playoff a rematch. rematch. Playoff rematch game from the uh, from the first round last year. And then the Rams are at San Francisco on Monday Night Football. I have to say I, I was I was surprised and, and somewhat disappointed in a sense that San Francisco didn't give the Cardinals more of a run for their money when the Cardinals were missing all the players that they were last week. So I'm not really sure what's going on with the 49ers, but uh, they will be hosting the Rams on Monday Night Football. So your thoughts on any of those games? Your talk about Matt LaFleur in the run game, uh, Kyle Shanahan getting away from the run in San Francisco has been one of the more surprising things. Now, obviously, I know what happened with Mostert, but, I mean, how many times did they carry the ball last week? Like, 14? and I mean, you look at you look at what they did in 2019 when they did go to the Super Bowl. They it was it was a stable of backfield guys. It didn't everybody. it didn't matter it didn't matter who he was handing the ball off to. Yeah. So it is it is curious what's been going on out there with Shanahan's offense. It doesn't get any easier for them. I'll tell you what, man. Atlanta's a team we got to stop sleeping on. Uh, they're <laughs> making a run there, and, and uh, you know Arthur Smith. Uh, I, I believe in him. I, I think he's utilizing his weapons. Matt Ryan, NFC Offensive Player of the Week, I believe. Matt Ryan. When this thing's all said and done with Matt Ryan, it's gonna he's gonna have one of those careers where it's like, man, when he was great, he was great. Yep. And then when it wasn't working out, it wasn't working out. I mean, the contrast between winning and losing seasons on the end of his resume is gonna be something interesting. But I think Kyle Pitts has given them some more energy. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I think that they have a new vision with that offense. So, D- Dallas 
coming off their own loss. It, that's a big game. That's one that I don't think you can sleep and that on was, anybody. And that was a tough loss for Dallas. They fell behind 30 to nothing at home to the Denver Broncos before they even got on the board and made yeah. the score respectable at the end. But they got, a, they got it handed to them at home. Now they're at home again. Against uh, against a Falcons team that is kind of on the rise. And Mike Vrabel, I think I need to give him some credit because I was asked in Insider Inbox about my favorite teams or what I think are the top four teams in the AFC, and I didn't put Tennessee in that conversation because I felt like without Derrick Henry, they aren't a top four team. Last week they looked like it, and now they're going to be taking yeah. on the New Orleans Saints, hosting them. Uh, I think these are the moments where head coaches really you know prove their weight, you know, in, in terms of what they can accomplish. And uh, seven and two, the Titans are what they are, and even if they don't have Henry. You know, they're still trucking along. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and everything from Sunday's game at Lambeau Field against the Seahawks. We'll have it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.